Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته جزاكم الله خير for coming may Allah عز وجل count us among heavily among your good deeds may Allah عز وجل count us and to bring about change the implementation of it in this world in this very corrupt world that we live in today Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Man amila amala laysa alayhi amruna abu rad. Rawah al-Bukhari. Whoever among you, and he's speaking to every single Muslim who takes undertakes any action, any one of you who undertakes an action that is not based on our instructions, it's rejected. It's rejected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's rejected by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's rejected, it's rejected according to the sharah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The problem that we live with today is that Muslims, when we look at the systems of the world today, is this concept that as long as the ruler is a Muslim, as long as salah is being allowed, we must obey them. Or they even go as far as saying that it's an Islamic system, as long as there are a few laws of Islam allowing hajj, or collecting some zakah, or that the constitution just says at the top of it that Islam is our source of law of the constitution, regardless of how much that contradicts the reality. They'll say that this is an Islamic system. This is a topic that we must understand, because if we have the wrong understanding, it's rejected by Allah and his messenger and Islam. We cannot be fooled into misunderstanding the reality of the world because there are so many of those that are benefiting from the absence of Islam. There are so many that want the good among the ummah to remain silent, sitting at home, sitting in the corner of the masjid, teaching their kids at school, which are good things, but that's all they want from us. They want to maintain the way things are so that we do not ever bring about the full implementation of Islam because that will not allow the tyrants and the criminals of this world to profit the way that they are profiting and have the power that they have today. And here I thought it was too loud. So in order to understand the truth of what Islam truly is, it's important for us to understand what is being implemented today. We must understand the systems of the world today first. And then we can understand what Islam truly is. Because then you can filter out the incorrect ideas. You can have clarity. And then you can have crystallization and implementing it. There are many variations of systems and so on. I'm not going to go through all the details, as interesting as they may be, to be honest. I would love to go through the details. Some of you would be very interested in these details. But let's keep it simple. One system that exists in the world that has kept Muslims confused is the idea of a monarchy. So you have governments like Saudi, you have governments like Morocco, and people think that, are these Islamic systems? Are these Islamic rulers as long as they're Muslim? It's a question we have to ask. It's a question we must understand. 
We must know the answer to these questions. What about Egypt? It's a republic. It's a so-called democracy. Is democracy enough? If the people elect the ruler, isn't that what some people want? They want to have a voice in who rules. Is the democracy sufficient? And there's different types of democracies. There's a parliamentary, where you have ministers representing the people. You have a presidential, where you have the president, to an extent, representing the people. And then he has the different forms of people under him, in the, whether it's the, uh, the Senate or whatever else it might be. Now, there's also one other one that I want to mention, which is an empire. I just want to touch on this, because it seems like we have a bit of a problem with thinking that the Uthmani Khilafah was an empire. So you have an empire ruled by an emperor. Was the Uthmani Khilafah an empire? Does Islam allow emperors? There's also one more related to democracy that I want to touch on, because this one has come up a great deal among the Muslims, which is the idea of a confederation, like the European Union. A federation or a confederation, there's different versions of that, or a union of some sort. Sorry, the confederation would be something like, a federation would be like the United States. A confederation would be like the EU. And so Muslims think, can we, for example, unite some of the Muslim countries into some sort of a union? And this would be acceptable Islamically? And there's so much more details I could go through, and it would just get more and more confusing. And you can mix in ideas well as long as we, you see some more Islamic lifestyle in these lands and some of the laws are more Islamic and some places the ahkam of divorce are according to Islam. You find some parts where riba is at least shunned. You find a lot of Islamic ideas or even some Islamic laws being implemented. And so it gets confusing. So I want to clarify the matter, hopefully, at least in the minds of those present and those listening, once and for all, there's one topic. If you understand it, you will understand this whole issue. And you yourself, on your own, you will be able to go to these different systems and look at it and understand, is this Islamic or is it not? Now, the shortcut is, if it's not a khilafah, it is not from Islam. But let's go through some of the details to understand why these systems are not Islam. And this is, by the way, even in university, you'll find in political science classes and so on, they will have these in their university education. It's the topic of sovereignty and the topic of authority. If you understand this, you'll understand the system. What is sovereignty? Sovereignty is who has the right to determine the law of the land. Who has the right to legislate the laws? Authority is who has the right to elect the ruler. These are two separate topics and they have to be identified. And what happens is, again, those who wish to confuse Muslims, they'll get you to focus on the authority. As long as you're electing a Muslim, therefore it's Islamic. That's what we want. We just want to be able to vote. That's the most important thing, as if that has ever changed anything, anywhere. We always end up in the same hole that we started from. It's always a, a pendulum. We go with one party and suddenly it's a disaster. We go to another party, it's another disaster. We come back, it's another disaster. And it's just we're being played the fool, swinging back and forth. So let's look at the systems that I mentioned. And let's assess who has sovereignty and who has authority in these systems. In a monarchy, who has the right to legislate? And this will add clarity to the topic of what about the Khulafa after the Khulafa al-Rashidun? Who were, even some of them said, for example, Muawiyah said, I am awal al-Muluk, ana awal al-Muluk. I am the first of the kings. Did he mean a monarchy like the way we have today? Let's analyze it. The monarchies of today, and the monarchies, when we say the word monarchy, what we mean is that the king or the queen or 
whoever is considered to be at the ruling position, it may be even the prince, the crown prince or whatever it may be, he has the right to legislate the laws of society. He has the right to legislate and no one else has the right to tell him what to do because he's the sovereign. They even call the Queen of England the sovereign. Now, yes, she's a symbolic head, but the point is the idea. In a monarchy, the king or the queen is the sovereign, meaning they are the ones who legislate the laws. And that is why you'll find in Saudi when the king or the prince makes a law, nobody has the right to tell him, but this is not according to Quran and Sunnah. You will have your head cut off if you dare say that to him because he's the sovereign, not Allah Azza wa Jal in the system. You go to Morocco and you say, the Quran says this, and he will cut your tongue for it because Allah is not the sovereign in this monarchy. The king is the sovereign in this monarchy. Sovereignty means that person or that source is the legislator. Now, in a monarchy, who has the authority? It's the bloodline or maybe the previous king. He can determine who's going to be the next one. So in a monarchy, the one who decides the laws is the king and the one who determines who comes next is the king. And it can get a little complicated, but that's not relevant. In an empire, let's just touch on it quickly, just to get this out of the way. In an empire, who has, who's the sovereign? The emperor. Nobody has the right to question the emperor. He decides the laws. Was the Khalifa in the Uthman al-Khilafah an emperor? Was he not accountable according to the Quran and Sunnah? If you look at all of the records of the court cases, of the issues related to the Khalifa and the decrees, they were all based on the Quran and Sunnah. Everything was related, was relayed back to from and to Shaykh al-Islam, which was the one who determined whether or not this complies with the Shara'ah. Because the Shara'ah was above the Khalifa until the fall of the Khilafah. He was never an emperor. In an empire, the emperor is the legislator. He is the sovereign. And then you have, well, who has authority? Again, it's complicated. It's basically who, whoever kills the emperor or maybe the emperor himself can assign the next person and so on. So it's corruption upon corruption. The same as a monarchy. It's not much different. And then you have a democracy. Whether it's a republic or a parliamentary and really none of that matters. Because what it comes down to is who is sovereign in a democracy? This is one thing I want everyone to focus carefully on because this is the one that affects us the most. Who is the sovereign in a democracy? The people. The people are the legislators, not Allah Azza wa Jal. I'll give you a quick example. And I like to give this example. If your son, let's say, or your daughter, one of your children, you tell them, go get me a glass of water. And he says, okay, Baba, I'll go. And he runs off. On the way, he stops by his four friends. And he asks them, should I get my Baba some water? And they vote. Three vote yes, two vote no. He says, okay, I'll go get him a glass of water. He gets a glass of water and says, here, Baba, here's a glass of water. Who was he obeying? Me or his friends? When you take the law of Allah Azza wa Jalla and you put it in front of a panel and you say, should we obey Allah or should we not obey Allah? Who are you listening to? Who are you worshipping? Because Allah Azza wa Jalla describes in the Quran that listen, obeying somebody, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned this. When they worship their, their rabbis and their monks, they took their rabbis and their monks as lords in the place of Allah. The Prophet ﷺ said, did they not make the halal into haram and the haram into halal? And the people obeyed them. This is them worshipping them. When we take the hukm of Allah Azza wa Jal and we say, well, let's have the people vote on it. You're worshipping the people. You're not worshipping Allah. You're obeying the people. You're not, worship, you're not obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A democracy is a system where the people are the legislators.
They are the sovereign. Who has authority in a democracy? Again, the people. They choose their ruler. And this, of course, goes the same for a some sort of a federation, confederation, whatever it might be. Let's talk about something like the European Union when people say, let's unite the Muslim or these Arab lands or these Muslim lands into a single united union and have some sort of a person in charge. It's the same thing. The person in charge is a representative of the people of those various lands, or at least he's, that person's a representative of the various rulers, and the rulers are part of what? Either a democracy, that's, Republican, that's a republic or a parliamentary, and they represent the people. It's the exact same thing, just a little more complicated. And so in the end, what you have is the people are the legislators in such a union. Because if you look at the European Union, who's a legislator? The people. Who has authority? The people have the authority to choose the rulers in the individual countries, and then those representatives choose one leader among them for the union, like you find, for example, Germany with the European Union. But it still comes down to the people are the sovereign, and the people have authority. Now, let's look at Islam. And this is where you see how much clarity and why some Muslims are confused. If we talk about a monarchy, it's very obvious. If you talk about... A, an, emperor, an empire is very obvious, but democracy is where there's confusion. In a khilafah, who has a sovereignty? Since the day of Rasulullah until the very last khalifa, who was the sovereign? Allah Azza wa Jal. The laws of Allah Azza wa Jal, the shara' of Allah Azza wa Jal, that's who's sovereign. Now, who has the authority? The people. The people have authority in the khilafah. And that's why people get confused. The people have the right to elect their ruler. The people get to choose who they want as their ruler. The people chose Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu in the beginning, and then they chose Umar radiallahu anhu as second, and then Ali between the six Mubashirin bil Jannah, and it came down to him and Uthman. And in the end, the people chose Uthman, and then after that came the rule of Ali, and then onward radiallahu anhum ajma'in, and every Khalifa afterwards. There was corruption after Al Hassan in that it was passed down, but the people had to accept it, and the people had to give the bay'ah. And that's why the bay'ah in some cases was forced, because only through the bay'ah could the ruler become a ruler under a khilafah, even if it's forced. They knew the only way is that the people have to accept, the people have to give the bay'ah. So everybody knew that Allah is the only legislator, and that the only people who had the right to choose the ruler were the people, and they had to give him bay'ah, and that's the contract between the ruler and the ruled. And the Khilafah is an obligation, and these details that I mentioned about the Khilafah are what they are through revelation, through wahi from Allah Azza wa Jal. This was not something that is logical, that we sat there and thought, what's the best way of doing this? What makes sense? Let's look at the pros and cons. Let's see what historically, how did the Jews do it, and how did the capitalists and the Christians do it, and let's see what's worked. We don't do this. If you have any dispute in any matter, you refer it back to Allah and His Messenger. If you truly believe in Allah Azza wa Jal. Now my brother Khalid mentioned some of the quotes, and there are so many quotes to go through. Al-Nawawi, rahimahullah, as the brother mentioned, he said, And I'll add the ending of this quote, which is, The scholars unanimously agreed that it is an obligation upon Muslims to have a Khalifa at all times. And this obligation is through the texts of Wahi, not through something that's logical. It's not something that just makes sense. 
it's required of us. Whether we like it or not, whether we find a better solution or not with our tiny little minds, Allah Azza wa Jal A'lam. Allah Azza wa Jal's solutions are correct and our solutions are wrong. We must refer to the Quran and Sunnah before taking anything. I'll also give the quote of Imam al-Ghazali. He said, فَإِنْ بَطُلَتْ الْإِمَامَ أَيَّ الْخِلَافَةِ بَطُلَتْ الْتَوْلِيَ وَانْحَلَتْ وِلَايَةَ الْقُضَاءِ وَالْتَحَقُوا بِأَحَادَ الْخَلْقِ وَامْتَنَعَتَ التَّصَرُّفَاتِ فِي النُّفُوسِ وَالْدِّمَاءِ وَالْفُرُوجِ وَالْأَمْوَالِ وَانْطَوَى بِصَاطِ الْشَرْعِ بِالْكُلِّيَةِ فِي هَذِهِ الْمُهَمَّاتِ If the imama becomes void, if the khilafah ceases to exist, this is Imam al-Ghazali from way back at that time, what did he say is going to happen? He said that if the khilafah becomes void, so too would the delegation of authority of judges. The judges, the, 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 the role of the judges would dissolve and they would become just like citizens. There would be no such thing as judges anymore, qada, to implement the shara anymore. Proper legal disposal of rights with respect to, love, uh, to respect to life, blood, honor, and wealth would be prevented and the application of the shara would entirely end in all these important matters. And he was exactly right. We've been living for a hundred years without the implementation of Islam. And all these matters have been abandoned. The ummah is massacred day and night. We are divided. We are not ruled by Islam. And some people have the audacity to tell us that we have to obey monarchies and we have to obey democracies and we have to obey these systems that are not a khilafah and they're illegitimate according to Islam. The only system that's legitimate according to Islam is the khilafah revealed by Allah Azza wa Jal where Allah Azza wa Jal is a sovereign, meaning the Quran and Sunnah is the only source of law, period. And the people have the right to elect the ruler and the people must willingly accept that ruler. It's a requirement. It's not only a recommendation. People, it's their right. Nobody can rule over the Muslims unless they receive the willing bay'ah from the Muslims. And that cuts out 99% of all of the tyrants that rule over the Muslims today. The Khilafah, by the way, is an end in and of itself. This is an important concept to think about. The Khilafah is not something that we simply, it's a means to apply Islam. The Prophet ﷺ obligated upon us the Khilafah in and of itself. It must always exist. There must always be a Khalifa. We must always have a bay'ah to a Khalifa, as Brother Khalid mentioned. Uh, I believe he mentioned this hadith, which is Whoever dies without having a bay'ah to a khalifa has died as if he is in the state of jahiliyyah. So the khilafah itself is a requirement. It must always exist. Even if we achieve the objectives of justice and some of the ahkam, that's not the point. The khilafah itself and a khalifa himself and the unity of the Muslims itself must always exist as a required hukum, an obligation. And if it doesn't, we are all sinful for it. We are accountable for it. Yom al-Qiyamah, we will be held accountable for the absence of these things, the absence of a khilafah. The khilafah is a unified system that does not allow any political division. All these nation states were introduced and dumped on our shoulders. And we were brainwashed with these ridiculous, if you really listen to them, these ridiculous national anthems and these comical flags that have less than no meaning to them. And yet we have so much loyalty to them. And they have nothing to do with our aqidah or our Prophet ﷺ or our wahi. And yet we're so loyal to these lines that were only introduced after the British and the French invaded our lands, massacred our people, took our wealth, 
destroyed our Khilafah and put these ridiculous lines among us and taught us these are your new lines. And by the way, if you're not loyal to it, go play some cricket and you'll become loyal to it. They taught us and brainwashed us with these ideas. And over the years and years, we began accepting them until now people fight for them, even though they have nothing to do with anything of who and what we are. So the system of monarchy is a contradiction with the system of Islam. A democracy is a contradiction with the system of Islam. And the same for, goes for unions and empires and so on. None of these have anything to do with Islam. And when the Khulafa were talking about kingship, which is not the same as the monarchies of today, then there will be kingship. The Prophet ﷺ was not talking about monarchies as in these men will see themselves. Does anybody think that Muawiyah saw himself as a legislator in the place of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or Umar ibn Abdul Aziz who came after him, that he was somebody who believed that he is a legislator in the place of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or Muhammad al-Fatih, even though he wasn't a khalif at the time. But the thing is, is that do we see Harun al-Rashid or any of these khulafa? The same as the monarchs of today who see themselves as legislators, sovereign legislators in the place of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Of course not. The Khulafat never saw themselves as this. Because it was, they were never monarchs. The word mulk in Arabic has a lot of meanings and a, it's a big topic. But the simplest point is they did not see themselves. They saw themselves as successors, Khulafat, to the Prophet ﷺ. But because there was corruption in how the rule was transferred, it looked like what kings do. And that's all they were talking about. It has nothing to do with the kings of today. And the system of the Khilafah is as specific, if not more specific, than your Salah. This is the core root concept we all have to have. Politics is not up to trial and error. Politics is not something you just figure out. That's the trick of secularism. Secularism taught us religion is your Salah, your personal Ibadat, grow your beard, Wear your hijab, have perfect halal meat, build your massage in the most beautiful way, pray five times a day, have your Eid in our in, in, in their in their soccer fields and football fields, have big conferences and talk about things that upset you. But when you want to implement religion in politics, A, you don't. And when you try to figure out political issues, you just figure it out based on what makes sense. That's what secularism teaches us. But Allah Azza wa Jal taught us. Going back to the hadith that I mentioned, anyone who takes any action that's not taken from our instructions, it's rejected. Islam gives specific instructions on how to establish and how to manage and what are the rules and restrictions of a ruling system, an entire ruling structure, from the khalifa to the assistants to the qada to the wala to every single element of the, of the ruling structure. The economic system, every single aspect of the economic system related to contracts and land laws and public and private and state property and currencies and every element of the economic system. The social system, regulating relations between the males and females in society. The punishment system, immigration, whatever you can think of, it's all outlined in the shara' the same as Allah has outlined our salah for us. And if you differentiate between salah and the ahkam of society, then understand, and I say this respectfully, understand that you have been secularized. You have adopted the aqidah of the secularists who say that religion and politics are separated. But as soon as you reject secularism, you'll realize that means Allah Azza wa Jalla has revealed specifics on all elements of politics. 
and we must know those elements before we speak about them. Because Allah has given us guidance, subhanahu wa ta'ala, on these matters. So our responsibility as Muslims, our responsibility, what are, what, what are we supposed to do with all of this? Number one, spend some time understanding the systems of the Khilafah. You have to understand this element of your deen. Imagine someone finding out that Salah is an obligation, and he doesn't know how to pray Salah. And he's talking about ibadat. How can you open your mouth without knowing the ahkam of Salah? He wants to talk about purity. He doesn't know anything about wudu or tahara. He wants to talk about rights and responsibilities of husband and wife. He doesn't know any ahkam about it. And yet he sits there and gives talks and talks about these things. Saying, no, no, the logical, the lesser of two evils, this and that. And the wife might get upset. And what are you talking about? There's ahkam. So we must take time and understand the ahkam of the systems of Islam. So you know the difference between the laws of Allah and the laws of others. We must reject everything and all systems that not just contradict with the shara' that are not specifically from the shara' there's a, there's, a, there's a distinction by the way when you say that something as long as it doesn't contradict the shara' it means that you can take it as long as you don't find out that it contradicts it's like food you can eat anything this is a this is a hukum you can eat anything you want as long as you don't know that it's haram once you find out it's haram then you stop but in these matters of mu'amalat the origin of taking an action is first knowing the ruling of Allah So you must know the hukum before you can take an action. So we must reject all other systems and we must call others to this. You must understand how important it is. We must all understand how vital it is to take this information to the next person. How many Muslims don't know these things? How many Muslims? How many, I've spoken to so many Muslims that once you identify the truth of secularism, they're so relieved to figure out this fact. It suddenly makes sense. So many Muslims want this information. And the more of us who are discussing it, the more people are going to understand it. And the closer we return to the promise of Allah Azza wa Jal, that the rule of Islam will return, inshallah. It's going to return. It's a guarantee. And if you do anything, anything, to help this, imagine your reward. And if you do nothing, imagine your regret on Yom Al-Qiyamah. If you could have just gone back to just do one thing for it, you could have encountered among those who worked to reestablish the deen of Allah after it was lost. So we must do something. And it starts by studying these things. You don't have to become a scholar in it. Just understand the general details at least. And take that to others. And reject all other systems and speak out against all other systems. Somebody says Turkey, you say no. Somebody says Saudi, you say no. Somebody says Morocco, you say no. Somebody says a union, you say no. Somebody says democracy, you say no. Not because we hate freedom, not because we hate justice or any of these, 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 these deceptive slogans they throw at us. We understand truth and justice and freedom better than anybody else. Freedom is what Allah dictates to us what, that, that we're allowed to be free in. We're allowed freedoms that they don't allow. They just have different freedoms. They're free to have immorality and debauchery and economic corruption. You can be free in these things. But you're not free to drive without a seatbelt. You're not free to not pay your taxes. There's no real freedom. You're free, in you're free in things that they allow you to. And Allah has freedoms that he allows us to. And that's the freedom that we want. So we must reject these ideas and these systems that are not from Islam. And I remind you one last time. Man amila amalan. لَيْسَ عَلَيْهِ أَمْرُونَا فَهُوَ رَدْ 
whoever does anything that is not from Allah Azza instructions, Allah rejects it. So you must take the time to know the details from the Quran and Sunnah so that it's accepted. May Allah Azza accept our actions and our deeds. May Allah Azza accept our intentions. May Allah Azza count us among those who have worked to reestablish the Khilafah and make us among those who are raised to that status, that, that dream status on Yom Al-Qiyamah. Ameen Allahumma Ameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran tafsir, and seerah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com.